0: Well, praise the Lord, church. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? All right, that was a patty cake. Is it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen, amen, amen. My pastor in Chicago would often say, somebody didn't wake up this morning. And so we all should count it a joy as a gift from God to yet again celebrate the Lord's day. If you have a Bible or digital device, meet me in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 we will we will look at verses 6 to 15 this this morning it's our spiritual entree I like to say that I have nothing to say except for what God has said and how many of us believe that God's word changes lives amen 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 so let's tabernacle among what God has us father we bless you we bless you what a joy it is to be with your dear people these dear loved ones. They don't need to hear my insights or my ideas. Lord, they they need, we need a word from you. So Lord, we pray that you would take these few words that you've given um, to me to share. I pray that you would um, apply it to our lives from from your word. And I pray, Lord, we would leave differently than how we came in. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On a Christmas morning one year, a family gathered together in their living room. And these hardworking blue collar parents did the best they could to provide a great Christmas for their children. In fact, each kid had a pile, <laughs> big pile of Christmas gifts. Some from the parents, some from family, and some from friends. And like any kid, these kids went there and to their stations and they devoured their gifts. Shoes, clothes, gift cards. How many of us love the gift card ministry? Well, Amazon getting a lot of business nowadays. Money, gaming systems, you name it. These kids were having a Christmas among Christmases, enjoying The gifts, after some time went by, little boy says to his dad, 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 father said, yeah, son. Little boy had a little perplexed look on his face. He threw his hands up. He says, is this it? Is this all that there is? Obviously, the father is seeing this little biscuit head ungrateful-looking son of his. He said, what? Is this it, Daddy? And the father said, yes, son. This is it. Merry Christmas. I think it's safe to assume that all of us at some point, especially when we were younger, had great expectations when it comes, comes to life you know, dreams and desires. You ask any child what they want to be when they grow up, and what you hear is a sense of excitement. I want to be this. I I want to be this. I want to accomplish this. And just as is the case with life, because life is hard, we metaphorically go through life, and we unwrap this thing called life, and let's just call it for what it is. Some of us don't like how our lives have ended up. Maybe it was a bad choice or a season of craziness and reaping the consequences. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're you're just you're just existing. You feel like you have no meaning and no purpose, and maybe you're agreeing with this kid on a Christmas morning when you look at your life and you say, Is this it? Is this all that there is? Well, I came to tell you. The answer to that question, based upon the authority of God's word, no, this isn't all that there is. You see, Jesus Christ is the only gift that keeps on giving. He's the only gift that never runs dry. He never gets old. And when you and I place our faith in Jesus, your best days are not behind you. Your best days are always before you because he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Colossians is about the supremacy of Jesus. It's about the preeminence of Jesus. It's about the centrality of Jesus. In fact, it can be argued in chapter one that Paul gives arguably the most beautifully articulated argument on why Jesus Christ is in a class all by himself. But then Paul goes from that argument, and as Pastor Brett mentioned last week, he talked about this mystery. Now this mystery is found in the reality that what Christ has done in the cross and how Paul struggles, works within his might to to serve in that reality because he wants to see Christ formed in every person that he serves. So now we come to Colossians, chapter two, verse six to 15. If you'd like to take notes this morning, Paul would have you and I know. Here's the big idea. That in Jesus, we are alive. In Jesus, we are alive. And if that's true, you cannot conclude that this is all that there is. Because in Jesus, we are alive. There's meaning. There's purpose. So if this statement is true, and it is true of Paul, and it is true of his heart for his people, and this true, if it's gonna be true for us, then there are four action points I wanna give to you this morning. If you and I wanna amplify that reality in our hearts and in our pilgrimage in this thing called life, that in Jesus we are alive, there's four action points I give to you from the text and I pray that God will challenge us today. The first thing is this, walk with Jesus. You see, the power is in the simplicity, clarity, and urgency of this principle. I didn't make this up, look at the text Paul says in verse six, he says, therefore, now therefore is therefore a reason. We just don't rip open the Bible and just, just water ski through the text. Paul is drawing the connection of the supremacy of Christ in his heart and his call to ministry to see it formed in the people that he's serving. And he's saying, based upon my commitment to Christ, he says, therefore, watch this, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. There's a the command as you received, as you embrace the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, so walk in him. The implication is that genuine faith in the gospel, genuine faith in Jesus, requires that I live a life that honors and obeys the Lord. He says, walk in him. That is, you started with Christ, you must continue with Christ. You started with faith, So you must continue with faith, and guess what? That's the only way to build and have spiritual progress in the Christian life, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Paul says, I command you to walk in him. What I love about this is now Paul gives us four byproducts of what it means to walk in Him or what it actually looks like. If you and I are gonna be people that embrace this reality of walking in Christ, then there are four byproducts I give to you right here from the text. The first byproduct of a person who walks in Him is that they are a root. Look at verse seven, he says, rooted. It's an agricultural word, it's a word that, that, that's a beautiful picture of a plant or a tree where the roots dig down deep. They dig down deep in the soil, and they draw nourishment. Uh, you see what he's saying here. He says that when I walk with Jesus, my life is anchored. When I walk with him, I have nourishment for my soul. Actually, this is an echo of Psalm 1, where it gives a profile in the first three verses of the blessed man. Look at verse 3. In Psalm 1, verse 3, He says, He is like a tree planted, by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Show me a person who's walking with Jesus and I'll show you a person whose life is rooted. So the first byproduct of a person who's walking in him is that they are a root. But then the second picture is they are a building. I'm not making this up. I'm walking through this this text verse by verse. Look at verse seven. He says, built up in him. It's an architectural word. I love this. Because the Greek word suggests that it is a form or it means to form to fit a particular form. An Old Testament picture would be the potter spinning the wheel and forming the clay into the image he's created. A person who walks with Jesus is a person whose foundation is Christ and their life is formed looking more like him. We should look more like Jesus today than last week. We should look more like Jesus today than January 1st because he's forming you. He's building up. And when I walk with him, my life will look like a root will look like a building, but the third picture in my life will look like a school. Now watch this. You see the phrase established in the faith just as you were taught. I like doing word studies and I was blessed by this. The, The Greek word for established, I love this. It means to make secure beyond doubt. It means to make secure beyond doubt. If you go over to uh, 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 verse 7 in chapter 1, you'll see that Epaphras, Paul calls him a fellow servant, scholars agree that Epaphras was probably the one that actually brought the good news to the church of Colossae, and he's the one that was teaching them the truth of who God is. It's amazing. Paul's implication is this, that when I walk with Jesus, my life will center around the truth of his word. This, this is why. This is why. This is why the ministry of the Word of God is so important. It's a conviction of mine. I, I desire to see the Word of God take root in your life. Everything that we do must center around His truth. And unfortunately, we are living in a day to day, day to day, where across this land there are a lot of there are a lot of smoke and mirrors coming from the pulpits. People are leaving more confused than when they came in. That's not a school. That's confusion. And a person who walks with Jesus, you hear me, is a person who's always a student of this book. God has spoken and he has not stuttered. In my opinion, it's not the 67th book of the Bible. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. My heart for you, my heart for myself, is that we're established, that we're secure beyond doubt under the authority of his word without apology. Without apology. Without apology. Paul says a person walking him, walking him, command, that's the command, a byproduct is if you walk in Christ, walking with Jesus, You're rooted, you're a building, you're a school, but notice also you're a river. You see the phrase abounding in thanksgiving, you're not going to see this in English, but in the Greek text, it is a word picture of a river that's flooded and overflowing its banks. You get what he's saying? Oh, when you walk with Jesus, there's some joy in your soul. Oh, when you worship him, there's joy in your heart. Yeah, circumstances might be funny. Yeah, my money might be funny and my chains might be strange, but oh, there's joy in the Lord. Is there anybody here today that got some joy in Jesus this morning? But that only comes when I walk with him. Because I cannot have real joy In and of myself, you do realize that joy is a fruit of the spirit, which means you and I can't conjure up joy. Joy is supernatural. That in spite of my circumstances around me, there's some kind of gratitude and thankfulness that fills my heart. Because of the joy of the Lord, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there's pleasure forevermore. God, I feel like preaching this morning. Paul says, Walk with Jesus. My kids, I got three daughters. Please fast and pray for me. (laughs) Oh, Lord, have mercy. 14, 12, and almost seven. Yes, amen. Beautiful, beautiful girls. When they were smaller, one, two years of age, especially. I could, I, I could take them into a, maybe a church function or a get-together with somebody's house, and it never fails. It never fails. I'm carrying one of them in my arms, walking around talking to people. You know how it is, parents. That arm gets tired. You switch arms. You're walking around, walking around. Then at some point, you say to yourself, now, you, you, you just need to be put down for a second. Give me, give, give this arm a, a break. I, I, I attempt to put them down, and my arm is met with nails dug in not only that, when I, when I still try to put them down, the leg, the leg will curl up and lock on. Then they're looking at me like, no, no daddy. No, 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 daddy. Now why would they do that? Because the environment they're not familiar with. The environment for them is Uncertainty the environment for them is maybe started up some fear. And so their only response is to cling to their daddy. You see what Paul's saying? Walking with Jesus is clinging to Jesus. That this world we live in is dark. If I'm left with my own devices, I have fears. anxiety. Oh, but I challenge you this morning, grab hold of your Savior. Cling to Him. The Bible calls it abiding, and I guarantee you, as we walk with Him, we will look more like Jesus. Church, it pays to walk with Jesus. You will be a root, you will be a building, You will be a school and you will be a river. Paul says that in Christ, we are alive. Walk with Jesus. But then the second thing he says is walk in truth. Where'd I get that from? I want you to see it for yourself. Look at, I love this, verse eight. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive. Literally, see to it that no one robs you or takes advantage of you. Put it in his context, Paul's dealing with false teachers. These false teachers were trying to uh, teach these ideas that is not central to, to Christ and to the gospel. He says, don't let them do that. No, 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 no. Don't let them do that. Don't let people take you captive with things that's not consistent with the gospel. Now watch this. He says, by philosophy and empty deceit. Oh, we're going to get in trouble this morning. Philosophy here has to do with the idea to love knowledge, to love wisdom. There's a place for it. There's a place for it. But here's the problem. These false teachers thought that that was end all be all. Oh, uh, let me come to your neighborhood. I, I, I'm already in trouble. Let me, let me jump further out in the deep. We've all have probably heard it said, saw it tweeted, saw a hashtag, saw a commercial. You hear people say that knowledge is power. Uh, I disagree with that. Knowledge is not power. Simply because you know doesn't mean your life is transformed. Even the demons believe and they still shudder. You can know a lot and still be powerless. Knowledge is not power. The Holy Spirit is power. Jesus Christ is power. God the Father is power. Oh, in this word, it's fire in my bones. It's power. But that's not what these false teachers are doing. Because what these false teachers are teaching is stuff that he, Paul says that depends on two realities. Look at the text. I'm making this up. You see it for yourself. He says, see to no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty the deceit. Watch this. According to human tradition. Ah, now there are some legitimate traditions like proclaiming the word of God, worshiping the Lord. That, 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 that's all great. But the human tradition Paul is referring to are those traditions, watch this, are those traditions that elevates and exalts the individual. Paul is taking offense to that because if you look at his argument through the book and through his life in the ministry, he, he's saying, no, 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 hold on now. I'm not here to exalt myself. It's not about me. So I take it personally. When these false jokers coming around teaching all this crazy stuff, has nothing to do with the gospel, has everything to do with themselves, I take that personally. He says, that kind of philosophy that's empty, that's hollow, it depends on human tradition. And that human tradition exalts the individual. But notice also, he says, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Elemental spirits, you know what that depends on, he says? Depends on the demonic. The demonic, false teaching at its root is demonic. It's demonic and it influences so many people and that's why Paul says it is not according to Christ. This doesn't honor the Lord. It doesn't exalt Jesus Christ. It's simply exhausting individual, magnifying the songs of hell. It's about me. Now, I don't have a whole lot of time to go through this. You might wanna just listen, because you'll get frustrated because I'm moving quickly through this. But let me give you quickly six reasons why false teaching is dangerous. Let me click off to you six reasons why false teaching is dangerous. Just, just, Just listen to this. False teaching is dangerous because number one, it causes people to submit to spiritually blind leaders. The blind leading the blind. False teaching is dangerous because, number two, it causes people to follow teachings of men instead of the doctrines of God. Matthew 15. False teaching is dangerous because it creates hypocrisy and a counterfeit Christianity. Again, Matthew 15. False teaching is dangerous because it leads to spiritual bondage and legalism. You think I'm blowing smoke? Read the next section in Colossians. False teaching is dangerous because it encourages sin, pride, and rebellion. Titus chapter 1. Six, and finally, false teaching is dangerous because it leads to devotion to the teachings of demons. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Now I stand on the authority of God's word when I read Galatians 1 verse 8. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Let him be coddled. No, let him be accursed. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just go on record and say, whoever we give our heart and allegiance to has our worship. Did you hear what I said? Whoever we give our heart and allegiance to has our affections, has our worship, has our heart. We are living in a battle for truth more than ever. You think I'm blowing smoke? Watch the news for two seconds. Listen to people talk. We are living in a land filled with so many ideas. And if I listen to all those ideas, I'll be a spiritual bobblehead person not knowing truth from error. But listen, when I put my nose in this book, then I'll be able to discern what's right and what's wrong. In Jesus, we are alive. Walk with Jesus. And my goodness, let us walk in truth. Walk in truth. In Jesus, we are alive. Number three, embrace his satisfaction. What then is his satisfaction? Well, number one, he's God. He's God. Uh, Where do I get that from? Jehovah's Witnesses will have a problem with this verse. Look at verse nine. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Don't think about that too hard or your head will explode. Fullness refers to the sum total of all that God is. His being and his attributes. I love it. In other words, Jesus is the exact manifestation and representation of the invisible God. I love what Hebrews chapter 1, verse 38 says. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, watch this. Drop it. Keep in mind, always look at a passage of scripture in light of the context. You see what Paul is implying? He's implying, why would you settle for a man-centered, devil-inspired way of living and teaching when you have everything that you need in Jesus? Why would you follow some joker that did not die for you who's a sinner just like you and me, when you have everything you need in Christ. Jesus is enough. He's enough. He's God. Oh, he's my satisfaction. But notice also, not only is he God, but we are filled. Oh, let the word of God bless you. Look at verse 10. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Oh, listen to what one scholar says about this. I I almost ran ran, laps around the campus when I read this. Listen to this. He says, when a person is born again into the family of God, look, watch this. He is born complete in Christ. His spiritual growth is not by addition, but by nutrition. He grows from the inside out. Nothing needs to be added to Christ because he already is the very fullness of God. And as a believer draws on Christ's fullness, he is filled unto all the fullness of God. What more does he need so, you see the phrases as you study scripture. I always study scripture slowly, thoughtfully, meditatively. The phrases are, uh, by him, in him, with him. It, it speaks to the supremacy of Jesus, but it also speaks of, I love it, of our union with Christ. That those who have embraced Jesus Christ are wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus. It means that his agenda becomes our agenda. His rule becomes our rule and who he is, is my identity. Who he is, is my identity. My sin is not my identity. My addiction is not my identity. My marriage is not my identity, but Jesus is my identity. We're filled church, we are filled. So he's God, we are filled oh, it gets even better, we are complete. Now, it's interesting here because he gives two illustrations of this idea of being complete. The first one is that of regeneration. Look at verse verse 11. It says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. I love this. One theologian puts it masterfully. He says that Jewish circumcision is external surgery. Might I add, painful. Only part of the body, done by hands and no spiritual help in conquering sin. Believers' spiritual circumcision is internal, that is the heart, involves a whole body of sins done without hands and enables them to overcome sin. You see what Paul's saying here? That in Christ, we're not cut in the flesh, he, he doesn't deal with the fruit stuff. He deals with the root. We're cutting the heart. And none of us is strong enough to deal with the condition of our own hearts. Oh, but my God is. So anybody who comes to Christ, God does heart surgery. God gets to the root, and he gives you new life. And no human ability can make that a reality. But God can, because he hits bullseyes with crooked sticks. Oh, is there anything too hard for God? So he says we're complete, we're regenerated, but notice also we have identification. Look at verse 12, I love it. In verse 12, it reads this, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power working of God, powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now stay with me on this one. The word baptism means to immerse, means to dip. It's not sprinkling. It means to dip, like I'm gonna throw you up in here. Boom! Now, physical baptism is an outward expression of an inward commitment, okay? But physical baptism does not save anybody. It doesn't save anybody, but it should be the first thing saved people do. Now, I hold this view with an open hand. I believe the view here Paul is referring to is not physical baptism. I believe he's referring to spirit, spiritual baptism. Here's what I mean. When a person comes to Jesus Christ, several things take place. As soon as you say yes to Jesus simultaneously, there are several things that happen. You are regenerated. I just talked about that, you're cut in the heart. God gives you a new life. The Holy Spirit indwells you. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God because he bears witness with your spirit that we are children of God. We're baptized, not physically, but we're immersed into the family of God, which means now I have brothers and sisters. I'm part of the kingdom rule now. And then I'm sealed. What's that old song we sing? Signed, sealed, delivered? right, you ain't been saved that long. We're sealed. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. So, back to the text. The implication here is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that's at work right now in your heart and in your life if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Isn't that amazing? the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that's at work right now. We have identification. We have identification. He did it. I love Romans chapter six, verse four, which says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So here's a question I ask you this morning, is Jesus your satisfaction? Is he my solution? When you look over your life up to this point, can you confidently say that he's enough? Church, we need to revel in this truth. Our worship will go to deeper places, whether corporately or individually, if we simply just reflect on what Christ has been to us. In Christ, we are alive. Walk with Jesus. Walk in truth. Embrace his satisfaction. And number four, remember what Jesus did for you. What did he do? Well, first thing I would say is that he transformed us. Look at verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. There's bad news and there's good news in this verse. The bad news is every last one of us, at some point we were born spiritually dead. To be dead means to be lifeless, to be ineffective, to be separated from God. And with urgency and love, I say this, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you are right now a walking dead man, a walking dead woman. That's just the truth. And the fact that you are here today under the sound of my voice and you're alive right now is not your intellect or your ability. It's the grace of God that loves you enough to tell you the truth. We're dead. But ah, hallelujah. There's some good news. Because Paul says we are forgiven. That in, in the cross of Christ, God offers us forgiveness. And that's what transforms us. I see where I once was, but then I saw what Jesus did for me. My life is transformed. Remember what Jesus did for you, he says, he transformed us, God, help me, Lord, help me, Lord. He also says, number two, he canceled the debt. Look at verse 14. Oh, I sense the Holy Spirit working right now. Look at verse 14. It says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You read the Old Testament. You read the Old Testament. Oh, you read the Old Testament. And you, you, you walk away real quickly and say, man, them people, man, whoo, the children of Israel. And I say, don't go too fast now because when I look at them, I look at myself. And when we look at the law, all 600 plus commandments, none of us up in here could keep even one. Well, oh, how dare you, I think I'm a good person. No, no, you're not, I'm not. Ain't nobody up in here good. That's bad grammar, but that's good theology. We don't apologize for that truth. So the purpose of the law as we learn as you study Paul's writings, the purpose of the law, God knew good and well none of us could keep not even one. But the purpose of the law was to reveal sin and our need for a savior. Mama says don't touch the stove. You never thought about touching the stove until mama said don't touch the stove. Well, what what causes me now to go against that? Sin. Now I know in a room this size it's safe to assume that Many of us have physical debt, student loans, credit card debt, whatever. And oh my goodness, them phone calls keep coming and coming and coming and coming. But can I tell you something that's worse than physical debt, spiritual. We are born in debt to a number we can't even fathom. But in Christ, Jesus says I'll take on Brendan's debt. I'll take on, put your name there, debt. Their past debt, their present debt, and their future debt, I'll put it on myself. Matter of fact, I'll leave the comforts of heaven, take on human flesh, Go to an old rugged cross, take on a flogging of 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. Be nailed to a cross, thinking of each and every person in this room. I'll pay that bill. And that's what Jesus did. He paid the bill. He paid the bill. Remember what he did for you. He transformed us. He canceled the debt. And here it is. He disarmed the powers. Verse 15, he disarmed. It literally means to strip, to take off the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Oh, you don't get anything else I say, get this one. Roman soldiers, whenever they went out to battle, whenever they came back from a victory, they held a big long parade, telling everybody, look what I did, look what I did, look what I did, making a public spectacle of the people that they just conquered. Do you see what's happening in this text? Satan might have some power, but he does not have final authority. Let me say that again. Satan might have some power, but that joker does not have final authority. He might have a gun, but the brother's shooting blanks. And on the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus made a public spectacle of Satan and death. Oh, you look at me like I'm strange. Paul said, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And I got a question to ask you. What you scared of? What you scared of? Christians do not die. Let me say it again. Christians do not die. You got a verse for that? Yes, I do. I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And those who place their faith in me will never die. So what you scared of? That stronghold is not more powerful than Christ. That addiction is not more powerful than Christ. Those suicidal thoughts, though you need, we need help, it's not more powerful than Christ. We don't have to live a defeated life. I run, oh, oh, yes, somebody needs to hear this this morning. I run into so many believers who love the Lord but yet struggle with wanting to just wave the flag and say it just is what it is. And I tell you, no, it's not. That thought did not come from heaven. You don't have to walk in your misery. You don't have to walk in shame. If God can raise a dead Jesus, he can give life to every soul up in here, up in here. There's an old song we used to sing in my Baptist church, Berean Bible Baptist Church in the south side of Atlanta. Some of y'all know this song. Jesus paid it all. Whoa. All to him I owe. Sin had left the crimson stain, but he washed me white as snow. Oh, it's another song we used to sing. I I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood for me. One day when I was lost, he died upon the cross. Come on, somebody what you scared of, what you scared of. Oh, church, remember, remember what Jesus did for you. Oh, may that announcement today be a sweet melody in your heart as you go out throughout your day to day and the days that God gives to you and me. Oh, remember what he has done for you. My dad, who will be here in a few weeks, Outside of Jesus Christ is the greatest man I know. Him, and my mom, they'll be here. You'll get a chance to hear them. They just celebrated fifty years. Fifty years. Mm-hmm. My dad's a preacher, and dad used to, at times, bring my mom when we got, especially when we got older. My mom would start traveling more with him. And before they would get ready to go out of town, mom and dad would have a family meeting with me and my siblings and the babysitter, Mr. Reese, who was always the the babysitter that would watch us. And dad would, in his own way, lay out the expectations. I don't know why, but he always used to just keep turning, looking at me. (laughs) I needed it. I know. I know. He would look at me and say, you know, you guys know better. Your mom and I are going to go, you know, minister the word and speaking to the lives of people and these marriage conferences. And We're expecting you to make sure you stay on top of your homework and your chores. And don't you give Mr. Reese any headaches. Or I'm, I'm, I'm going to have a problem with you. And remember, he would say this all, all the time. He would always say, he always say, remember your last name is Loritz." act like somebody. Mama used to say, act like you got some. Amen. I didn't grow up in the time out ministry. So when mama said, act like you got some sense, there was great passion behind that. The point is, we're expecting you to live accordingly. Act like you got some sense. Church, we have no excuse. God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. God is expecting us to make much of our lives. We don't know when he's going to return. And neither do we know when he's going to say to you and me, give me back my breath. So we need to be a people that says in in agreement that in him, in Jesus, I'm alive. So walk with him today. Walk in his truth. Embrace his satisfaction. Sometimes when you're going through some difficult seasons, sometimes the best thing to do is tell God how awesome he is. I don't know what it is. But there's times when you, when you get to that place and you just start speaking to God what his word says. The spirit of God stirs your affections. Something on the inside rises up because your spirit is agreeing with the Holy Spirit that says, yes, he is my satisfaction. That's why David would say over and over again, "In you, I take refuge. So embrace the satisfaction. But oh, may we never have spiritual amnesia. Let us always remember what he did for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So every week, we have opportunity to respond. And I want to ask you a question. I always say this. What is God saying to you this morning? Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Please, in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, make a beeline to the cross. Because this could be the very last message you'll ever hear. If you're here today and you know Jesus, but yeah, there's some struggles, and we all do. I like what one of my friends says. He says that all of God's kids are getting it. We all got issues and challenges. Well, We have some friends up front, deacons and ministry leaders and pastors that just just want to take a few moments and pray with you, pray over you. If it's it's coming to Christ for the first time or if it's simply, hey, I, I just need you to cover me. Cover me. There's no shame in that. Because Paul in Ephesians 6 asked the the people of Ephesus, pray over me that I would speak boldly for Christ. So we give you this opportunity to cover you, to pray for you. Church, in Christ, we are alive. And know this isn't all that there is. Your best day is always before you. But it begins with a heart that responds. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And after I pray, if you want to take advantage of this opportunity to respond, please do. Today, if you hear his voice, the scripture says, "Harden not your heart. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the cross. The only solution to our sin problem is Jesus and what he's accomplished for us. So Spirit of God, move Go down every aisle, touch, heal, and deliver. Draw those whom you want to draw to yourself. Help us to respond appropriately. Help us to have a sense of urgency. At this moment, Lord, help us to be sensitive to your voice. God, we love you, we honor you. In you, we are alive. Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. God bless you.